Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning to uh, embodied and cyber people alike. Uh, good to see everyone. Happy New Year. Can we still say Happy New Year? Yeah, it's, it's still, it's still, still early. Yeah. So I'm I'm David Wood, um, one of the pastors down the street at uh, Coquitlam Alliance, and uh, it's good, always good to be at Hillside. Uh, one of my favorite churches in the world. And um, yeah, I was thinking about New Year's. I was thinking about New Year's. Um, we're nine days, nine days into New Year's. And I was going to ask you a question. Um, what is one tradition that you have? And maybe it's just a quirky old tradition in your own household, or maybe it comes from the old country, I don't know. Uh, what is one New Year's tradition that you have and that you practice pretty much every year? Oh, you do. You watch the New York ball. Oh, very cool. And uh, whatever singer there happens to be, Mariah Carey or different ones. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Okay. What else? Go to bed early. Go to bed early. You ring in New Year's in Toronto, right? <laughs> that's that's good. Go to bed early. That's a good tradition. I have a friend. Oh, that's cool. So you look back at the year and what you're looking forward to in the new year. Yeah. I heard of this one family just um, last week. What they do is they, at, on New Year's, they open the front door and open the back door. So they say goodbye to the year and they welcome in the New Year. Kind of, yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. To look back and look ahead. Well, I actually came across some practices around the world for New Year's. And they are true because they're on the internet. So... Um, <laughs> Just to let you know, I mean, if, if you're Spanish, you eat 12 grapes, apparently. I don't know why. They're Spanish. Uh, oh, one for each month, I'm guessing. Scotland. Any Scots here? Okay. Now, in Scotland, they, they practice um, this, this, this thing called um, hogmany. But, uh, let me say with uh, how they would say, they would say Harmony. I don't know how they would say it. Hogmany. That's how the and in 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 Scotland they uh, they have this thing called I think it's called first footing. Have you heard of that? First footing. And so it means in the new year you have to be very particular about who enters into your household first. And so it is good luck. If someone who enters into your household after New Year's is dark-haired, a dark-haired man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Derwin, no. Um, well, I, okay, no, well, let me explain. There was a day. <laughs> that day's long gone. Um, but here's the thing. And not only do you have to cross, a dark-haired man crosses the, the, the threshold, but they have to bring things like coal, uh, they bring shortbread, salt, and here's a shocker, scotch. Um, and if they do that, it'll bring good fortune to the household, right? Now, I guess it goes back to the days of the Vikings, 
where, uh, where if you had a, a blonde, blue-eyed man with a battle axe, it probably does not bode well for the year, right? So I'm guessing that's, that's where it goes. I don't know about the Italians. They have a tradition of wearing red underwear. <laughs> I actually verified this one with an Italian friend of mine. Uh, red is associated with fertility, so people wear it under the clothes and hope they will conceive in the coming year. In Chile, uh, New Year's Eve masses are held not at church, but in cemeteries, apparently. Yeah. Um, and that allows the deceased to also ring in the new year. And apparently every year people are dying to do this. So. <laughs> so that's not good. That's not good. There's a whole bunch of other ones. But one of the traditions that we have here, though, right, in the West, is uh, every New Year's we have New Year's resolutions, New Year's resolutions. And that's where we resolve to take up new habits for the new year, to get rid of old habits and to take up new habits. And, and I get it. I know why we do this. Uh, I do this. is because when you look at January 1st, it's almost like a do-over, isn't it? Like a year's done, and it's like, oh, what a year. Well, hey, cal- new calendar, new year, New opportunity to get this right. So it's a, it's a, it's a do-over. It's a fresh slate. And, and I think there's something to this. Uh, behind a lot of New Year's resolutions. How many of you do New Year's resolutions? <laughs> sort of, yeah. Yeah, a little bit, right? Well, behind it is this idea to live a better life. Well, there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, and from a Christian perspective... It's an invitation to live a new life with new habits, new affections, and that's good. But there's a big difference. There's a difference from a Christian perspective when we look at New, new Year's. Because on one hand, you have this strong effort to change a habit that won't go away. But from a Christian perspective, we are invited to enter again into the life that Jesus is offering us. There's a little bit of, well, there is a difference. And that's the theme. That's the theme of our passage today. And so we're going to look at a passage in the New Testament found in the book of Ephesians. And see, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Um, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church in a place called Ephesus. That's why it's called the book of Ephesians. And so... Um, In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, Paul writes these words. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity but that's not the way you learned Christ assuming that you've heard about him and you're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness 
Jesus, we've been praising you, we've been worshiping you, we've been talking about you. Um, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. So give us ears to hear what you want to say to us and challenge us and grant us the courage to respond to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the big questions uh, that Paul is addressing in this passage is a question that we face every December 31st. And the question is this, how can we make things better than they were before? How can we make things better than they were last year? Or to put it differently, why do I keep going back to my old way of thinking, my old way of doing things? And that seems to be an issue that the church in Ephesus was wrestling with. How do I stop going back to these old habits of mine? Right? And if you, if you, the book of Ephesians is an interesting book. It's an interesting letter. And one of the things that the book of Ephesians invites us to do, it invites us to reimagine our lives in light of the gospel. Rethink about who you are in light of Jesus Christ. Because in, in the letter, it's interesting, the, the first part of the letter, Paul says, he says, you know, this is who you once were. You once, you were, you were dead. You were dead in your sins, doing things you shouldn't be doing, not doing things that you ought to be doing. You're dead in your sins. You're, you were enslaved to these sins. You tried to break these habits, but you couldn't. And you were condemned. You were, you were separated from the life of God. And then we read these incredible words where, where, where Paul says, but God, <laughs> this is who you were, but God because of his great love with which he loved you, he made you alive together in Jesus Christ. And so the whole first part of the book of Ephesians saying, look, this is who you once were, but in Jesus, this is who you are. Wow. You're an adopted son. You're an adopted daughter of the Most High. You can call the living God of the universe Father. You are, you are once far away, but because of God's great love, he's rescued you through his son. And now you're alive, you're adopted, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and you've been invited to, to explore the heights, the depths, the widths, the lengths of the love of Jesus. This is amazing stuff. And so the whole first part of the book of Ephesians, and this is a pattern for Paul, the whole first part of um, Ephesians is saying, look, because of grace, this is who you are. This is tremendous news. The second part of the letter, and typically this is what Paul does, he begins to say, this is who you are, this is the great news, this is the gospel. The second part, he says, all right, now start living up to it. <laughs> Live in response to the gospel. Now, you don't mix those up, right? I've said this before. If you, if you start by trying really hard in order to get God's love, you are toast. It's not going to work. You start, this is what Jesus has done for, for me, so now we live in response to that. And so that's what Paul is getting at here. And so um, at this point, he says, look what Jesus has done. He has set us free. And now he's saying, we're being challenged. Don't go back to your old way of living. Don't go back to your old ways of thinking and your old way of living. Because to go back to your old way of living, it would be to go back to a life that was full of dead ends. And so that's what Paul describes. He says, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He says to go back, to go back to this old way of living, 
this old life of yours, these old habits, is futile. It's to, it's to go back to futile thinking. Now, it's interesting the word futile um, shows up a few times. Uh, the, the, the word um, in the Old Testament is a word that is used to describe idols. And what is an idol? An idol is anything that you make, anything other than God that you make ultimate. So it could be good things. It could be your family. It could be a relationship. It could be your job. But whenever you make something other than God ultimate in your life, that is an idol. But here's a problem. Anything other than God, anyone other than God, when you make that ultimate, it will be a God that fails. It's not going to live up. It's not going to live up to all your hopes and your dreams. And so that's what Paul's getting at here. He says, be careful. These promises, these, 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 um, these idols, they have eyes but cannot see. They have mouths that cannot speak. They have feet but cannot walk. They promise a lot, but they don't deliver. And you think about it in the new year, how many things do we put our hopes in? And it's a new year. <laughs> I was going to say, we get to go to the gym, but we don't even get to go to the gym. <laughs> Gyms are all closed. Uh, so, okay, a new job or new relationship. And we, you know, we, we look forward to, to all these things. But here's the danger. If we make those things ultimate things, we're in trouble because they're idols. And Paul says, this is futile thinking. And he says, don't go back to this old way of thinking because in the old, your, the old you, your understanding was also darkened. That's what he describes. You can't see clearly. You can't think clearly. And he says, you know what? If we go back to this old way of thinking where we determine what is right and what is wrong, where we don't factor God into the equation, and he says, your understanding is darkened and you end up groping in the dark because you can't see the whole picture. I think one of the characteristics of, of the modern world is that the world that we live in right now squeezes us into such a small reality and we just feel pressure coming from every side and we can't get, a per we can't get perspective. We're trying to get perspective, but we can't. And we feel overwhelmed. We watch the news and we just feel squeezed into this tiny little spot and we're anxious. We're in this little cubicle of reality and we can't get perspective. And that's why I love in the Psalms in the Psalms, you read, it says, Lord, you have brought me into a spacious place, right? Because when we're, we're in the presence of God, we, we, we gain perspective. We need a perspective to see where we come from, where we're going. But everything about the modern world squeezes that out of us, and our understanding is darkened. And Paul says, you're alienated from the life of God. Your old life, you're alienated from God. Why would you want to go back? Why would you want to go back? Why would you go, want to go back and be God of your life? Because the reality is, is that you and I make really lousy gods. We're not good at it. And now all this, Paul says, is rooted in what he describes as the ignorance that lies within us. He's not talking about education or anything like that. He's just talking about ignorance is when you and I try to navigate our lives without a compass, without taking God into consideration. 
And whenever we place anything in place of God, including ourselves, Paul says, our hearts will harden. And, uh, and as our hearts harden, we grow numb to the things that matter. Right? So that's Paul's whole point. His whole point is saying, like, look, you've tasted Jesus. Why would you want to go back? And, and that's why he says, he goes, he's basically saying to the, to the church in Ephesus, he's saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's not the way you, what does he say, learned Christ. This is actually an interesting phrase. That's not the way you learned Christ. To be a Christ follower means to be people who have heard and have been taught truth that is radically different from the ways of the world. And so what does he say? He says, you are taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what does this mean as we enter into 2022? Well, Paul teaches us to put off our old self, our old ways of living, our old habits, our old ways of speaking to one another, our old ways of how we'd spend our time, and instead, to put on our new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We are to become, by grace, people who we already are. Right? So that's what Paul says. Put off your old self. Put on your new self. Put off your old habits and put on your new habits. And some of you might be thinking, oh, that's really great, David. <laughs> oh, so I just put off my old self and put on my new self. Thanks. Yeah, what do you think I've been trying to do every year? That's not helping, Paul. Put off my old self, put on my new self. Well, that's what I try to do. But I keep falling into the same ditch every year. Nothing ever changes. And I get that. I do. I, I, at the end of each year, I'm often like, oh, come on. I, I made no headway at all. In fact, I took four steps backwards on this particular issue. And I get it. Yeah, put off my old self, put on the new. I, I get it. But why don't I change? Why don't I change? Well, I'm not sure if I have the answer for you because I'm still wrestling with this. And so what I'm not going to give you at this stage is five easy steps for a brand new you. Um, that's not going to happen. Uh, but what I maybe can offer us this morning is just a couple thoughts, ways to frame our lives going into this new year. The first thing I would say is this. You and I need to expect conflict in the Christian life. Right? There's a conflict between the spirit and the flesh conflict between walking in the ways of Jesus and walking in the ways of the world. And here's the thing, this tension between the world and Jesus is a tension you will experience pretty much for the rest of your life. And that's, we need to hear this because the Christian life, to follow Jesus, is not an easy life. It's not. It's beautiful. It's meaningful, it's wondrous, 
It is where you are most fully alive because you're in sync with the author of life, yes. But it's not an easy life. And if somebody ever told you, hey, come to Jesus and your life will just be smooth sailing. Well, I hate to disappoint you. It will not be. A guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who was a martyr in World War II, said, when Christ calls a man, he bids them to come and die. And the way of the Christian life is daily dying. And daily dying is not easy. And it's painful. And so, yes, I'm not going to offer you a five-step plan. What Jesus has on offer, though, is way, way better, but it's not easy. Okay? And I think that helps to know that, okay, the Christian life's not easy. That's good. Secondly, I think we need to re always come back to who we are. We need to remember who we are. That's what Paul says. He says, notice what he says. He says, we are to be renewed. We are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So how we think about things matters, right? How we think about ourselves, our lives, our world needs to be renewed, reshaped by gospel truths. And the, the reality is this, is that Jesus is so big. It's just what, what, what um, you're saying, Derwin. Um, he's so big, we need to realize that the reality of Jesus, he's not, he's not a modest program for self-improvement. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is Lord over all history and all creation. And, and he shapes everything. He shapes how you see everything from science to sexuality to identity to um, um, politics to everything. He shapes everything. And part of our challenge of discipleship is, is to remember and, and to, to learn how Jesus shapes all of reality. Now, usually at this point, I, I, I promote a class that I'm teaching, but I probably shouldn't because I am teaching a class on this. So you can watch it online. Stay here. You know. <laughs> the other thing we need to do when we're thinking about being changed and growing into Christ is, is we, we need to remember to, um, to train rather than try. And... We've been given, for 2,000 years, there's, there's, there, we have access to means of grace, holy habits, spiritual disciplines. And these spiritual disciplines affect the heart. They teach us to do two things. One, they help us to identify sins and negative habits. But they also teach us habits to counteract those sins in our lives. And so putting on the new self, putting on this new self, is not easy. It can be painful uh, because our bodies are used to old habits, right? And so here's one example. Like um, one example would be the, uh, the practice of silence and solitude. But we live in a world where many people are afraid to be without sound. So if you're one of those people that even has music going in the shower... The practice of silence will make you twitchy. 
But it's going to be good, right? It's going to be good. How many of you have ever fasted? Well, I'm very impressed. Well done. Uh, Okay, let me ask the second question. Why do you fast? Let me hear. Why do you fast? (laughs) Okay. Right, okay, so instead of a meal, you realize that, you know, Jesus is your daily bread. He is the bread, yeah, and so it helps you focus. Good, yeah. Anything else? Obedience. Okay, oh, very cool. Yes, yeah. Well, what, what fasting often does is it, it, it reveals things about the state of your heart. <laughs> Because I could think, you know what? I'm doing pretty good in the Christian life. I find that I'm quite patient until I fast. And I realize that this, what I thought was a fruit of the Spirit, patience, was actually simply there because of a well-placed Mars bar, right? Because I'd eaten at the right time, so I was okay. You remove that food, and it's like, ah, oh, there's all sorts of stuff in there that I didn't know was, was floating around in there, right? So that's for fasting. That's, so, so these spiritual disciplines are really important. Um, one example I like, to, and I asked, uh, <laughs> I asked for permission <laughs> if I could uh, touch a guitar. Um, all right. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Built it. Okay, so. Huh? Okay, so there's this song. Okay, now some of you guys who are a little bit older will know it. It's by a group. Uh, they were big in the 80s, and they're called Van Halen. Yeah? Okay, so Eddie Van Halen just passed away last year. Eddie Van Halen did one of the greatest guitar solos of all time. What was it called? Anybody know? Eruption. Warms my heart. And Eruption is an amazing guitar solo. And it goes something like this. I can't do it. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. I could decide right now, I'm going to try really hard to play Eruption. And I can try, really, but I can't play Eruption. I can try, and I really want to play it, and I'm going to try to play it, but I can't play it, because in order to play it, it's not just about trying, it's about what? Training, yeah, it's about training. And that's the picture of the Christian life. We have so many people, and I, I fall into this myself. I look at the Christian life, and I really do want to break those habits. I really do want to have this kind of life. I really am trying, but it's not making a difference. And the reason why it's not making a difference is because I'm not training. And the Christian life is not about trying, because trying gets old real quick. Because you try, you fail. You try, you fail. You're always going to fail. But when you train, that makes a difference. Any of you who know any 
musical instrument or any of you if you've done martial arts or done you know as even as a teacher right you know you had to go through training and pedagogy and how to teach it you have to do training and the same with the christian life and sometimes we just oh no just i'll just rely on the holy spirit and well yeah okay we need to rely on the holy spirit but even that we need to train ourselves to be dependent upon the holy spirit and so i think part of our challenge is to learn how to train the other thing is we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's the thing. You can look at spiritual disciplines of fasting and solitude and all these things. But don't get overly fixated on them as if those are the ends. Oh, I fasted four days. How about you? Five days. Wow, okay, well done. No, it's not about fasting. It's about what that does, as you were saying, in focusing our eyes on Jesus, right? That's the whole goal, is to fix our eyes on Jesus. And... Um, and he will bring about this change. He is the mean of grace, right? He's the one who draws us to himself. Now, this picture of transformation, my favorite picture. Now, I'm sure Pastor Derwin's probably giving you this illustration. But it's such a good one. And it is mandatory for me to quote C.S. Lewis in every message. Um, how many of you have ever read the book, uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader? I see those hands... You guys are warming my heart. It's so good. And I see those hands online. No, I don't. Sorry. I'm assuming there are some out there. Um, okay, so you know the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, right? So one of the coolest scenes, one of the coolest characters in Voyage of the Dawn Treader is Eustace Scrub. <laughs> that C.S. Lewis says his name was Eustace Scrub, and he almost deserved it because he's not a nice character. He's kind of this lazy, whiny kid um, and he's on this ship the dawn treader and they're they're sailing around and eustace scrub he's lazy and so the the ship lands on this one island and everybody has to work because they were in a storm and fix the ship and he's like i don't want to so he, he runs off and uh and he goes and he and he um he just wants to go and have a sleep just nap and, and waste time and so he goes away and um he finds this cave, and it's full of treasure. He's like, oh, awesome. There's no taxes out here. I get, you know, and that's what he says. He's all excited. And uh, he says he's got greedy little thoughts lying on treasure, and something happens. He wakes up, and what happens to him? He becomes a dragon, right? So he, he actually embodies the picture of greed, which is a dragon. Now, as a dragon, he's like, I'm stuck. I'm now a dragon. Something actually happens to Eustace when he turns into a dragon. He realizes just what a twit he had been. But the problem is, is he's a dragon, and he can't be undragoned until one night he encounters this lion, who's Aslan, who's a Christ figure, if, you, if you're familiar with this series. And uh, Aslan is standing in front of a pool, and he says, he goes, jump into the pool. But before you jump into the pool, you need to undress yourself. And Eustace is like, I'm a dragon. I have no clothes on. Until he remembers about snakes. Well, they, can't they shed their skin? So he thinks, huh, that must be what he means. So he sticks a, his own claw into himself, and he cuts deep, and he pulls off his skin, like a snake skin. It's lying on the ground. It's like, awesome. Goes to jump into the pool, but he's a dragon still. So he cuts himself again, pulls off another layer of skin. It's like, finally, I get to go in, but he's still a dragon. 
And he keeps trying, but he can't get rid of his skin. And Aslan says, let me do it. And so he lays him down, and, as, and then he says, you know, the first cut. <laughs> first cut was the deepest. And he says, it, it cut right into my heart. It cut way deeper than anything I could ever have done. And it hurt. It hurt. It hurt. But when all was said and done, he looked at the skin. It wasn't just like the skin. It was gnarled and dark, and it was his skin. And he realized he was a boy again. He jumped into the water, and it was painful. But then he says it was beautiful. And he comes out, and Aslan says, let me dress you. And I love that picture because it's such a picture of how we are changed. We can, we can do this modest program for self-improvement, five steps to a better you, and it's like just trying to pull off a little bit of skin. It's not really going to make a difference unless we allow Jesus to <coughs> cut deep inside of us and transform us into the people we're meant to be. I think that's a beautiful picture. I think that's the invitation that comes out of this passage, and it's the invitation that... Uh, that Jesus is offering us this morning. So the question is, is are we willing to allow him to do the hard work in our lives, to make us into the people that we have already, by grace, <laughs> become? We are, to, be, we are to, to live out the grace that we have been given by Jesus. To live out and to live up to what we already are by his grace. But in order to do that, in order for that transformation to take place, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of Jesus in our lives. So are you open for that? Yeah? All right, well, let's pray. Jesus, this is our desire. We lay that before you. Our desire is we're, we're tired of falling into the same habits every year. Same stuff every year. But the only way we can ever change is if you do the hard work in our lives. And we know it's going to be painful. We know it's not going to be easy. But we know it's going to be beautiful. And so this morning, we take that one thing. We begin with that one thing that we desire to see changed in our life. So I'm going to invite you at this point, just in your, in your, in your prayer, just to lay that one thing. What is the one thing you'd like to see changed in your life? It could be your marriage. It could be some habit that you have, or it could be anything. What is the one thing that you're going to present to Jesus right now? Lord, our desire is to be changed from the inside out. We cannot do this on our own. And so we invite you to transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.